You are listening to episode 253 of the Game Deflators podcast. My name's John, and I'm joined by Ryan. Hey, everybody here at the Game Deflators podcast. We like to talk about games. We've recently picked up games we're currently playing, and we get our link on with Darren Hupke in this week's Game Deflators podcast. Definitely was different, Ryan. I like it. Just changing that. it up. We got a nice new guest today. Yeah, so we are joined by Darren Hupke, who actually is my neighbor, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it was interesting. But we met Darren at the uh, Game On Expo uh, this past year. Or I really this past August, I guess. Yeah. And uh, back. yeah, Darren, if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, Darren. I mean, it was cool to uh, the Game on Expo was only the second time I tabled at like a convention. So I'm kind of like new to that whole scene anyway. So uh, you meeting me at that Game on Expo was, you know, I had the, you know, the big eyes and wide eyes of the excitement of like doing this. Like, I'm like, I'm a real I'm a real boy uh, out here. (laughs) Uh, So it was cool just to meet people. That was the whole point. Meeting people um, like just putting my name out there, trying to like figure out like promoting, you know, the books and stuff like that that I've been working on. Um, so it was rad to have, you know, some local folks come by who uh, are you're doing your own podcast and um, the opportunity to come on and chat was uh, definitely one I wanted to take advantage of. So uh, really, really cool to meet y'all. and I'm glad to be able to do this. Hear that, Ryan? He's taking advantage of us. Hey, anytime, <laughs> man, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll go over Darren's work here in a little bit, but uh, let's start off by uh, you can find us on the gamedeflators.com, our currently out of date website because I haven't updated the most recent uh, piece of it. <laughs> back <laughs> so at it again. Back at it. Uh, you can also find us on social media at Game Deflators on X, Twitter, Elon Musk World, whatever it's called. Uh, <laughs> that's where you can find us. Uh, you can find us at The Game Deflators on Instagram and Facebook. Also, the Game Deflators on YouTube and the podcast app you're listening to right now. Give us a like, a subscribe, give us a review, five stars, 10 stars, whatever it may be. We'll appreciate it. And comments, lots of comments. All right, let's dive into some recent pickups. Um, So I can kick it off real quick and then we'll pass it to Darren. And then Ryan, you get last. Sounds good. This week. So recent pickups. I (laughs) grabbed the recent Game Informer magazine. I guess that's a pickup, right? It's gaming related. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, don't shake your head. It's gaming. Um, I haven't opened it. I just know it's Assassin's Creed and it's sitting on my counter. <laughs> so I'll a, look forward to looking at the cover as I use your bathroom in the future. That's Yeah, <laughs> that's usually where Game Informer sits before it hits the trash. Um, so that, and then I picked up more Magic cards because, you know, that's what I've been doing recently. It's just buying Magic the Gathering and playing tournaments. Uh, so I'm making a rat deck, Ryan. I thought you already made a rat deck. I didn't finish it. And I found other cards to support it. So I had to buy more. Okay. Uh, so really, that's what I'm doing now. So I played the Poison deck a couple weeks ago, got third place on that miraculously. I don't know how the hell I did it with that deck. And the Rat deck, I think, is a little stronger. So we'll run with that. We'll see how it goes. And then my red card should be in for the new set. So I can go back to play Mono Red and having people hate me because that's usually how Mono Red works. Yeah. And they just see red and they hate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then as far as currently playing is concerned, I am still playing arenas, um, which is good. I actually, so I collected 40,000 gold in arenas and then opened 40 packs. That was ridiculous. It's just like all the packs just go shoo, 
across you the should screen. have streamed that or, or recorded it or something you know I, I realize my phone actually has recording capabilities and i just haven't messed with it um but yeah like all these packs just like go to the side and open and these cards fly across the screen and uh, i mean you figure it's what like 90 cards technically going across the screen or something and then it opens up all the rares and you got to click each one um that was fun like it really was so i enjoyed doing that uh and then i'm god as far as arena i'm still playing mono red it's the easiest thing to just like bust into get some quick points finish your dailies and jump off um it's not going to get me like i mean it could get me diamond level because i've been diamond before with it but i don't think it's going to get me mythic so i gotta try and make it gotta have a much higher win rate than that well no mythic is after diamond but the problem is once you hit diamond it's like all the people that are like just trying to get into mythic so it's like the best of the best like mythic is i want to say it's like 500 or something or like a thousand people hit mythic so it's kind of like um uh what do you call it apex legends where you have like the predator thing or apex Mm. predator where it's like 750 people or like top 750 i'm pretty sure mythic in arenas is similar to that so the highest I've gotten is Diamond 1, and that's where it stopped. I didn't get past that. And that's just before Mythic last time. Okay, so it's the top 7%. Yeah, so I almost made the top 7% last go-round in the season. So hopefully I can make it this go-round. We'll see. Um, takes a lot of playing and a lot of luck. That's usually how it goes. Uh, and I'll see. What else? Um, White Knight Chronicles on PS3. Oh, red. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it it's awesome if I don't fall asleep during the story and oh, the gameplay. Yeah. That's, you know, I mean, I, I told you I got a kid now and everything, so it's tiring. You, mm-hmm. you finish your day of work, you hang off your kid, you go to play games, you spend 10 minutes on the couch, and then you zonk out and you're done. So White Knight Chronicles 3, I've enjoyed it. Um, you know, I mentioned a while back, I got past the underbelly of greed. Um, I got to... It's like this plains area again, like after you there's like the main castle area that you're at initially and it takes you on the rest of the adventure, right? Like the princess is captured, et cetera, et cetera. And then you go through all these different parts of the game. Well, I went back and then at some point, like apparently they turn into Star Wars in White Knight Chronicles, like a hologram pops up of the big bad guy who's like, I have the princess and I'm going to, you know, Basically, you won't see her alive again unless you meet me at X location and give me your um, your knight pieces, essentially, that turn you into knights. So, And the reason I'm talking about it in this manner is because I keep falling asleep during critical story points and then saving while I'm sleeping <laughs> as I'm playing. So like, I wake up and I'm like, whoa, wait a second. Like, What just happened? And I find myself clear across the town and a little 50% bar going up. I'm like, well, I can't stop it because if I do, I'll corrupt my data. So this has happened like three nights in a row. So I think I'm going to try to transition to gameplay during the daytime. And then maybe I won't fall asleep. Maybe you should go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. Uh, Maybe, except then I won't get any time for video games at all. You could just wake up and play in the morning. No, because you know what will happen? My one-year-old will wake up at the same time and I won't get any gaming time. And then that would also require me to wake up at like... I don't know, 4.30 in the morning to play video games? I'm not doing that. I already wake up at 6. That's pushing it. Yeah, I did that. The 4.30 in the morning thing was something I did as a kid. I remember growing up. I'm like, let's see, I got to get ready for school at this time. Well, hey, you know what? If I set my alarm at this time, uh, I can squeeze in some extra game time. Exactly. That's what what I'm channeling. The 5 a.m. gaming session. I'm over 30. Like, it. no. 
I've got gray hairs coming in my beard, right? So like I, no, I'm not waking up at that damn time. (laughs) Yeah. So that's it for me. Uh, Darren, how about yourself? Yeah. Recently I've been playing. um, Well, I finished a few, I guess now it's been about a month. I finished Final Fantasy 16 and I actually convinced myself to start that new game plus uh, to grind out that platinum trophy because I only would only have two trophies to get. And I'm not like, I don't want to say I'm a big platinum trophy guy, but I think I think I kind of am. You know, I think I have to realize at this point I, I I'm doing really like I invest far more time into games I'm playing, and I don't spend money on buying a new game until I know I'm ready to start it. Which in the past I'd buy the new game as soon as it was like out, have it sitting on my shelf, staring at me, and have this back catalog that I know every gamer like dreads and everything. But I turned this switch in my brain and was able to like only buy a game when I'm ready for it and go. So I. I had 16 was going through that. And then I was, that was my chance to buy something new. And then I realized, you know what, I'm going to convince myself to keep playing. Uh, let's see what I do. And halfway through that second playthrough, I gave up on it and I kind of hated myself for it. I'm like, I invested the hours and time to get this far, but I didn't get the platinum, nor did I start these other games when I could have, uh, but oh well. Uh, but then I feel like I cursed myself because Texas Chainsaw Massacre came out one week, decided to impulse buy that. The next Friday, um, Sea of Stars, I had back the oh, Kickstarter, yeah. so I got sent my code for that, and it was already going to be a free um, PlayStation Plus game and everything anyway. So it was like, well, Sea of Stars is out. This is great. And uh, But it was two days before I realized that, that was happening, I convinced myself to buy Armored Core 6. So I have uh. three games, three games, and that's definitely two games too many for me, like realistically. Um, but Sea of Stars is the one. I've been at least convincing myself to play like an hour or two here and there to just keep making progress. Um, I really like the battle system of it. So it is something you can kind of like play in, in quick chunks and, and feel like at least you're making some kind of progress. Um, Armor Core 6 is just abandoned and so is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, I feel bad about both of those, but I know I'll, I'll get back to them. Don't you're um, on the Game Flayers podcast. Ryan doesn't finish video games at all. Oh, yeah, man. You're speaking yeah. directly to my crow brain. <laughs> just like shiny things. Get it. Play it. <laughs> It's crazy. Like I, I was, that was definitely me for you. I'm 37. <laughs> why do I not know that? I think I'm 37. <laughs> well, that's because um, of the age. That's why. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, for 30 of those years, it was definitely like way bite off way more than I can chew, have way too big of a catalog of games and never finished a single one of them. But these last seven, I've been like, you know, six strong standout major games that are fully finished. I'm seeing credits on for the first time ever. And I'm like, this is what this is like. This is how this feels like this. This is great. Um, you hear that, so Ryan? Cool. That could be you with the darkness if you finish it. Wait, what was that? What'd you say? Yeah. Credits? Yeah. I don't know what credits are. What's a credit? <laughs> this dude, uh, before you, you continue, he uh, he calls <laughs> me one day and he's like, hey, I'm playing Bloodborne. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, it's a badass game. And he's like, yeah, man, like, it's awesome. I'm like, okay, cool. So he's playing through it, blah, blah, blah. We, I follow up with him a little while later. I'm like, hey, did you ever beat Bloodborne? He's like, you know what? I got to the final boss. And no, I, just I got- tried to beat the whole game while you were on vacation. And I got to, like, the last boss and realized that I didn't want to buy the DLC. So I just never beat the final boss. <laughs> you see what I'm dealing with? Oh, man, that's me all over, like... The last game, the last disc of a game or the final boss, that's my favorite place to stop playing a game. So good. So <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah. The other, exactly. only other one, um, only other like, current playing thing, and I realize I, I don't talk about this at all with anybody. I feel like it's a, like, I'm almost embarrassed to talk about it, but Marvel Snap. I play a lot of Marvel Snap. People dig Marvel Snap. I don't even know what that is. 
it's fun. It's a you know like a mobile game and all stuff. My my daughter um, calls it um, like poor man's Magic the Gathering because we started <laughs> teaching her how to play Magic, and so she like she would like probably to have like played Magic more with me and my wife. Um, and so when she sees me playing that, I think she's like resentful of it. She's like, you could be playing with magic with me, but now you're just playing like knockoff magic. I'm like, it's, <laughs> it's not, it's super simple. It's like three minute games. It's just like kind of like a, it's free as well. And like, you don't have to invest any cash into it to like actually get some entertainment out of it. Um, but it's just, it's just like a quick thing and I can do it like on a break at work or, you know, like in, in just quick bursts and realize I'm still hitting like their virtual landmarks to kind of keep making progress. Um, but I swear that's probably my most played, like most hours spent in a game, you know, this year, I think is in Marvel Snap, which is just kind of creepy and weird. And like I said, kind of embarrassing, but I, I'm not, not that embarrassed by it. It's, it is just a fun game. I mean, it's a big time game. Like as far as I can remember, like uh, Keely keeps bringing that guy up. He used to be on the Hearthstone team and he mm. keeps bringing him up on like his shows uh, to talk about Marvel Snap. It's, I, I, feel it, it's I know well a lot designed. of people that are into it. Yeah, their content drip and their card mechanics and like it's it's well designed. Like they clearly know what they're doing. Like there's not like ever been anything that's like broken the game um, that they haven't immediately been like, cool, here's an instant fix for this temporarily while we retool this. And like that's only happened like once or twice with like a couple of recent cards. And um, it's no, it's 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 really good. I, mean, I, I highly recommend it. It's just. It makes me feel like I'm not playing a real video game, though. And I feel like I'm neglecting real video games for this, like, <laughs> mobile card game. So it's I, almost that's like... That's how I feel of arenas. Yeah. Like, it's a cop-out every week. I'm like, yeah, I'm playing arenas. But, yeah. you know, it's a card game. Just digital. I keep telling myself to get back into that, too, because I, I will never physically buy Magic cards again, because I've done that too many times in my life, <laughs> where I've then, like, sold the collection massively, been at got I'm out. And then, like, three years later, I'm like... So how much right is a booster box? Yeah. Like, oh, okay. and, <laughs> yeah. and I have a friend who's like the same way, but I'm just like, I'm drawing the line hard. No physical. Well, next time you're ever. selling your collection, let me know. <laughs> I don't have any physical cards. I will not physically ever own cards. I'm okay with that. But I got into arena uh, when there was, um, I don't know, maybe about two, three years ago. Um, and I was, again, I was chasing the mythic one season. And I was like, really close. I was really loving the grind of it. And then a friend of mine fell out of it. And so I'm like, well, I'll wait till he comes back into it. And he never did. So I started playing solo a little bit and I've been out for a cycle or two, but like, I, I just, it's one of those ones I just need to pick up and get back into again. Cause casually enough, you just play a few games every day. You can casually limp along and still like stay kind of current. And uh, it's not, doesn't take too much of an investment. And in, well, if you like, decide to get back into it, I get um, promo codes every, every time I play a tournament, I get a promo code oh, yeah, yeah. for free packs. So yeah. And I always hit up Reddit for those free codes whenever like there's something new that comes out. So I feel like I'm not missing those three cards or the three packs when the new sets drop and all that stuff. But Arena's great. I, I definitely imagine the gathering is another like a lifelong game. I think I'll be committed to. Um, I'm just, you know, not ever gonna buy it physically again. And I'm okay with that. See, yeah. that's the thing. You can you can escape the magic, but the gatherings always gonna bring you back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> pull you once you think you're out there, pull you back in. Uh, Ryan, one more pickup for me before you jump in. Um, the uh, Planescape books for uh, D&D. Pre-ordered those as well. So it's okay. a new like, triple pack. So that's, uh, that's my last pickup. Oh, like a whole like setting? Yep, Planescape settings that are revisiting it. And then I'm also waiting for... Um, I don't know why it never went up for pre-order on Game Nerds, but the... Uh, God, what's it called? Fandelver? The new Fandelver. Oh, yeah. Set. You were talking about that a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Like, 
Planescape, I don't know too much about, but like everybody always talks about Planescape Torment and what like a legend that game is. And I know way more about it than most people than have never played it before know about it just because I've watched a guy talk about it for hours on end multiple times. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Planescape sounds like a really cool setting. So that's definitely probably a good pickup. Well, for now, it's just Strixhaven and whatever else I decide to throw your way. All right, your turn. Okay, so who's ready for a wild guess at what Ryan picked up this week? It was nothing, because there I mean, was I, no new Game Pass releases this week. I would have guessed nothing because it's on the outline. Yeah, yeah, so nothing new picked up this week. Uh, I really haven't had much time for gaming this week either. I have been watching a little bit of Starfield content, and every time I do, I cringe at how much i want to play starfield and then have no time to play it so i think i squeaked in like an hour or so this week uh so i have not played that um i am supposed to be playing two games for the podcast just as a reminder to people i have until the end of the year to finish pikmin one i have four hours left in that game and uh (laughs) that's a hard deadline According By the, to the way, game. Darren, he was given that game in January. Oh, to yeah. Play. Oh, yeah. It's an eight hour game and I have four hours left. I don't even remember what my game was. Uh, your game was Cardia. That's right. I keep forgetting my damn game, but I play Cardia World of Fate from the PS1. That was my title. And then now I've got the summer game challenge to play uh, The Darkness. And the autumnal equinox is tomorrow. We're recording this on September 21st. So I have 24 hours left to beat the darkness and it's not going to happen. No, no, no. It will happen because I'm giving you until next Thursday. I said the temperature will still be a hundred and something degrees in most parts of the world. That would be considered summer. So you are, you're welcome. You could still beat the darkness. All right. I will do my best to get it out there. Isn't there an achievement in that game to watch to kill a mockingbird? Or is, do you get an achievement for watching that video in the apartment yeah. like the start? Yeah, you sit down and you watch like the whole... Ago. I don't know if it like breaks out as an achievement on... Play, yeah, it would because it's PlayStation 3 to be a trophy. Yeah, yeah. there is. Oh, it's, wait, it's, when you're sitting down with your girlfriend in the apartment? Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. you can watch the full film. It's the oh, entire really? movie of To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, it's just like I remember like back then when it was first released, like discovering that. I was like, this is rad. And I remember I, just, I, mean, I didn't watch it or anything, but like yeah. like I remember sitting there for three minutes and it'd be like, Yeah, this is literally just playing through, but I'm not gonna watch a screen in a screen on like, you know, in my house and yeah. uh, didn't do it. But uh, I thought it was I, neat the developers did that. I can I sat down for a, a while thing, but... and I watched it and I did like a couple of things, but then like everything like got glitched out in my game somehow like there was like a couple of times where i was playing that game where things weren't spawning appropriately or like i wasn't able to make it to the next point and i had to like reload the chapter so i (laughs) i had to spawn back in and ignore my girlfriend and just like move on with my life because (laughs) i just had already spent 10 minutes in that apartment before but, I mean, the game's fantastic, so the fact that you haven't beat it yet is kind of shocking. I mean, it's okay. Well, you've only played, like, however many hours. I'm, like, 16 hours into it. Maybe 12 to 14. Six, Maybe I'm exaggerating. I don't even think it's a 16-hour game or 12 to 14-hour game. I want to say it's, like, it might be 12. 
No, no, I'm definitely farther than that. Like I'm in, I'm in hell, and I did the tank thing already. Have you looked at a guide to see like? Yeah, I had to use a guide because I kept being like, "What do I do next?" And the game wasn't like doing the part because it was like glitched out somehow. Right. Like I can't tell you how many times I ran up that hill, like in hell, to where the tree was, and didn't realize that like I needed to use like alternate vision to look at the tree in the right way or whatever like i ran through that plane of hell for like an hour so ryan main story of the darkness is nine hours main no. sides is 11 and a half on average and no if a gamer strives to see all aspects of a game and it's probably factors in to kill a mockingbird 18 and a half hours okay so see this is a problem that i apparently have with games i just do them wrong like somehow i spent 120 hours in Elden Ring and I didn't even make it halfway through the game and I wasn't even doing everything. I just suck or take my time. I don't know. Maybe I smell too many roses along the way, but for some reason I just can't finish a game in the recommended time. It's like I get in some kind of weird Ryan time zone where everything just is like wackadoo. I don't know. If you keep going at it, you can go on how long to beat. Uh, you can record your time, and the slowest as of right now is 20 hours. Oh, so. there's a challenge. Yeah, I could prolong these out to years. But you got to beat it. That's <laughs> I can't even imagine that. That would so screw up the logarithm. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start a new website, howlongnottobeat.com. Oh, my God. <laughs> how that... long can you not beat it? It's going to be me and a bunch of people doing the NoFap November challenge. God, man, the SEO on this episode is going to be ridiculous. We're going to be like tagged on porn sites and stuff now. <laughs> it's going to be rough. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's all I've got. I have not played anything else other than like an hour of uh, uh, Starfield this week. But you know what? There's always next week. It's never going to happen. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's go into, so Darren, uh, you know, let's go into the stuff that you do, man. Uh, you have a Kickstarter just finished up recently. And, uh, I think this one was a Kickstarter you did recently on Capcom, right? Yeah. It was, I, I, uh, I'm a Konami, Kickstarter. Sorry, Konami. Yeah. I'm a Kickstarter expert at this point. I want to say, uh, the, uh, yeah, that third volume of my like series of books was all covering Konami's games on the original PlayStation. That one ended. That was like a, a full like month long Kickstarter, but um, in this process, I've discovered like a, a, a new company to like print in like a paperback size. It's like you know, making the books really affordable. So I like I completely rebuilt my first book, the the uh, Capcom volume, in like a six by nine size, which is like the average size of a paperback book or whatever. Um, so like I rebuilt it, and in doing that, I kind of re-edited and touched up some of the entries and articles and stuff like that, and made it into shrunken down size. Actually, you guys can visually see it, but it's a podcast, so no one else can see it. But like, it's just a cool size here. Oh yeah, and, um, yeah. And so yeah, so I did a Kickstarter to kind of like, I don't know, like kick off launch this. So this is going to be something that you can order on Amazon starting in like a week from now. And this will just be something that's just evergreen available to be ordered through Amazon. Like that's going to be like awesome. Cause my, the big size books, the stuff that you saw like at, at the game one expo, um, those were just printed through like a limited print run in like that giant a four size, like hardcover. 
Um, just through Kickstarter is a limited print run. And I'm not going to have the fun to like sell fund and reprint those later or anything, but that like smaller size will be something that will kind of keep in existence. So what's it I called on s- Amazon so people can find it? A uh, 32 bit library um, is if you just search that it'll be, I don't think you'll, you'll find anything just yet. Um, technically cause it's like on a, I just have to launch it, but I'm waiting. Um, I'm actually adding an article to it. Uh, one of the guys who, who helped, uh, throw in an article in the Namco volume, my volume two and my volume three. Um, this guy, Adi Sorley, he works for limited run games and he helps oh, the guy, Adi. John. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he's adding, uh, he's the other two articles he did for me for the second and third volumes were on like the audio and sound design work of Namco and Konami's games. Um, but to kind of keep the, like the theme going, he's retroactively writing one about Capcom for me. And he's going to email me that over here the next uh, day or two. He said, once that happens, I'll add that page, and that'll be print ready at that point because I can just launch it through Amazon, and um, everybody could order it. But uh, yeah, the Kickstarter for that one already ended as well too. I did a week long one just for people to directly order it from me, and like I made some like bookmarks and some extra stickers and stuff like that. Just something you can't get through Amazon just from you know doing like this launch quote unquote mm-hmm. um, you know through me. But other than that, that'll be available. I've like retooled like the volume two in that same way, the Namco book. Um, that will also be, you know, in the near future, I'll like launch that through there too. But, um, yeah, I've just been busy working on those. Oh, well, congrats on volume three, man. Uh, seeing yeah. that it got funded and everything. Yeah. Yeah. It was uh, like 144% funded, I think is what the last email says. Nice. Good stuff. Yeah. So I, I liked them when we took a look at the, at the game on expo. I mean, they're, they're very high quality books in what you've created. And, you know, as you had mentioned, you played all of those games right yeah. to, to get that information all the screenshots it's not a matter of you know ripping things off google and talking about it like you physically were actively screen capping yeah my goal was to rip them off google and be done with it like that was i was thinking like oh i'll be able to just download these screenshots write up these retrospectives or whatever it may be and be done with it that'll be easy um but then like playing through a game like with capcom it's some obscure games like one piece mansion that has nothing to do with the like anime or manga series, which I always did. <laughs> I was just going to ask. <laughs> has nothing to do with it. Like I would just with a name like that, I thought, oh, it has, must have something to do with that anime and manga people like love, you know, nothing to do with that. Um, but uh, there's not like a lot you can find or you find like a really low or odd resolution one or something with a watermark. And I'm like, okay, well, I can't have this like weird, like inconsistency, like for quality reasons. So I was like, well, what's my next choice or my next option? And so I was like, I'll just play all the games myself. <laughs> and so um, I did save like some sanity points in um, using like game facts and stuff like that and having like downloading like the save files and save states and stuff like that to help me get to like later parts in the game. So it's not just me playing 20 minutes and you only yeah. see screenshots from the first level or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I, did, I just did that for consistency reasons and for quality control reasons. And um it's that's been like the fun part is like revisiting and playing through like these games anyway um and then you know doing the write-ups and retrospectives like after the fact um and digging into the games and even digging into old video game magazines just for like you know what their review scores were at the time and and some games it's interesting to see like like castlevania symphony and i i think like somebody in egm like gave it like an eight or an 8.5 or something like that i'm like you fools like this is like this is a cold classic now like who would that's sacrilegious to say that that's you know anything below a a 10 uh but at the time it just felt like hey man this isn't an exciting 3d game that this playstation should be pushing out this is just another you know like 2d side scroller like yeah it was fun but you know it's not cutting edge and and you realize like 
in the moment things you know weren't quite to the pulse of what they became with a game like that so it's just fun to you know have that like in the articles and in the entries you know as, as a retrospective it's not like me trying to review the game or me trying to like you know be negative or like have like a wild hot take or anything but just you know what are the unique standout features about it and like what does it mean today or what did it mean then compared to what it means today and stuff and that's that's the fun of it yeah, I think I, it's. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say it's kind of similar to what what we do with some of these games too. Like Tomb Raider was the one we did last week, and you know, understanding what the game was back then, I think, is the most critical piece as you're writing up those retrospectives, right? It's like the game could be hot garbage today, or it could be like the best thing ever. Um, but doing that comparison to where it was back in the day, I think, is super important. Yeah, yeah, okay, hundred percent. Like, I mean, because again, I've I've seen and read some of the things that helped inspire me to do these books myself. But like, I just didn't like the angle they took where they like, you know, it was like a hot take about how bad something was or how like the graphics were X, Y, or Z. But like, that's with like a modern lens or a modern eye. Like if you hadn't played, you know, GTA five, would you complain about the size of this map in this game? Like, no, not necessarily. Like that's, that was, that was landmark at the time potentially. So you, you can't like knock it for something that, you know, hasn't happened yet or something that even it inspired itself to be better down the line and everything. Now, I think it's sometimes you can though. So it depends on the title. So obviously when you look at games that have really kind of set the bar high during that era and were released around the same time period. So like Ryan and I played certain games that came out around the same time frame, and it's like night and day, right? You look at a game that's like, you could still play it today. You could boot it up and you're like, man, this is still great. But then you play another game where you're like, man, this is garbage. Like, it's just hard to kind of dive into it. Well, yeah, so, I guess that's true. It's not like it's not 100 percent guaranteed that way. I mean, there are some some gems that will forever be able to live on because they were ahead of their time. And games have yet to even really be able to catch up or figure out what it was that made that special. And they're emulating something else instead. But yeah, yeah. You're, yeah you're totally right about that. I love the style of the books that you've been doing. Like, it's so cool. Like, you see, like, a game that's like, Oh, Namco Museum Collection. Here's like a whole bunch of things. But it's very cool to see you just like take like here is like one whole, you know, development track of games for a certain console. Let's explore that entire body of work. Like that's a really cool approach and to, you know, comprise all of that into one kind of volume and then kind of move on from there and have like multiple volumes of like here are these full collections for people who really have that vein of interest from one kind of creative concept to another to be able to like really you know have a comprehensive guide and collection to all that is really unique because like you see those attempts like the namco museum or whatever and it's like here's a handful of titles throughout the years but they're not really you know, as targeted as like what you're making. And that focus, I think, really brings a lot of light to, you know, here's what was going on at that time with this restriction across the board from one source. Yeah. And then that's that also that's the other angle I have with them. Like each volume is every title. Like volume one was every title Capcom put on the PlayStation. Um, two is every game Namco did. Three is every game that Konami did. But um, in the books, they're also laid out in chronological order, not just alphabetical order or like by popularity or anything. So like if you start at the first page, you can graphically see like Air Combat from Namco. But then if you flip towards the end of the book and you see Ace Combat 3, you're like, like, whoa, this is the same hardware, but like night and day, like this is amazing. Like you can see how the developers were clearly like 
learning their craft and like learning the skills and getting the most out of that hardware when they were just learning it early on. And so um, beyond my words and the retrospectives written and everything, like you can just see the technologically, like the, how that advanced and grew from day one to, you know, day end, whatever their last release was in those books. And you get it all like, cause that was my whole, like giving me like barriers and roadblocks and everything was just, I want a full snapshot. I don't want to do just the big games or just the important games. I want you to be able to see all of it in between to, and give it equal coverage. So um, yeah, it is the whole pie and not just a slice of the pie. So uh, volume four, have you thought about it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, already because I am a workaholic, uh, it doesn't feel like work to me. It's like really entertaining, but I've already started doing like um, I'm using InDesign to do all the layouts and page managing and things like that. Um, but I've already made up like the special like graphics and like um, like page design, but it's around 50 games or so makes like a, a good sized book for me. So if I add uh, at this point, having done Capcom, Namco and Konami, like they've all they're heavy hitters, um, unless I wanted to do like Activision or EA, which they have a lot of like, you know, sports or filler yeah. stuff that wouldn't be as exciting. All the um, Maddens. <laughs> yeah. And here's seven years of Maddens. And let's just go through them all. Um, but uh, in order to like fill that, this will be the first volume that has multiple publishers. Okay. But volume four is going to be um, Squaresoft, Working Designs, Atlas, and Enix. I was wow. literally going to ask you if you were going to do an, an RPG set, if it was just going to be Atlas, yeah. or if you were going to go the route of like, or how would you, how you would go to route on bringing in like developers that had not as many games right and it sounds like that's the yeah. idea right so Combine go more genre four. focus but i can't yeah. believe between the four of them there's less than 50 titles like I, it I, just seems 50, like there should be like a, a zillion yeah there's 55 titles between those four from like the master like spreadsheet i put together of like the list of every ps1 game and everything and like that was a lot of work that was a lot of pre-work before the first volume because i, I was originally doing a book on all of sony's published games um, but then that's when I started curating going through with the other publishers. Um, but I use that as a cross-reference with like Wikipedia and a few other like online sources and Moby games. Um, but then another guy who's helped contribute to the book and has been a really awesome, you know, definitely like friend from afar uh, on this, Jason Dvorak. He runs a website and a YouTube channel called GameRave. Like his website's GameRave.com. You can check him out too. Um, he has a complete collection of every US PS1 game. Um, all the variants, all like the bundle packages, gun cons, dance pads, like all that jazz. Like he sent me a picture of his game room that I put in the book. Um, and I've used his list of like games and all that stuff. So yeah, from what I've done so far, and again, it's, I'm still in the, the building stages. So if I, if I miss one, now's my time to find it. But between the four of them, there's 55 released games, which I thought for sure would be a lot higher. Um, no, it's all U.S. only release that you yes. cover. Yeah, yeah. The... Uh, in volume two of the Namco ones, and then this third volume for volume three, uh, another f person I've been able to meet by doing these things, Kurt Collada, he runs a website called Hardcore Gaming 101 and a bunch of podcasts, uh, or he's, he's been friends with like the Retronauts guys, and he does um, his own books that you can buy and find on Amazon through his Hardcore Gaming 101 Presents series. I just have to plug all these nice people because they've yeah, been so yeah, awesome to help me out. He has did uh, his the angle of the like the bonus article and entry he sent me was uh, the import report is what I called it. So he covered um, a bunch of cool Namco games that were only in Japan didn't quite make it here, uh, and he sent me screenshots from his own collections of the games and all stuff himself as well. So that was really cool. And for this Konami volume, um, I was 
super thrilled and excited if I could squeak like two to four pages out of this bonus entry stuff. Um, but for this Konami volume, once I got done finishing the final page of Kurt's content, uh, I was at 14 pages from him. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he did like Snatcher and Police Knots, um, all the, like the Gomen titles, all these like um, shooters and stuff like that that Konami did that never made it here. Like he covered a bunch of games. And so like this volume three, while yes, I only personally covered the US and that was really my, my focus to give me what I could access, what I could like understand and, you know, capture myself. Um, he just went like crazy on getting the amount of content there for me and so this is like the biggest volume yet with the konami one for for that import coverage so there is a significant chunk of books or uh, um, games covered in the book uh, that i'm really excited about beyond just the u.s stuff nice good stuff well um can you remind us again when those books will be available on amazon yeah the, i would say i mean like i said as soon as audi gets me the the capcom article that one will be live so um, if he sends it to me like tomorrow night, like I'll click the launch button and that'll be ready to go to order hopefully in the next couple of days because of that. Um, but realistically I would say, um, where we're in September still, right? Yeah. I would say by the end of the month for sure, um, that, that'll, that'll be done. And then sometime by the end of next month, I'll have volume two, um, up available to buy and everything through, the Amazon as well. And then I'm working on converting volume three and into that same size. And because um, that physical, like large paperback version, like it's just going to the printers now. And because it's like that process actually takes quite a while, I probably won't get those in until like early March. Um, whereas I could have this paperback one probably converted and like printed and ready to go through Amazon, like well before that. I'm fighting in my head, like, you know, I don't want to like people who back the book, I don't want to get it to other people first before they get it and stuff. So I'm figuring out how to kind of deal with that. And um, maybe I, people won't care either, you know, so I don't know. I was actually going to say like the, the Kickstarter one is a nice hardcover, bigger books. So, I mean, yeah. it, it, really it's more of a grasp of content, right? Like the yeah. content being in her hands, but I, you know, I kind of look at it like uh, some of the video games I've ordered on Kickstarter, like there's stuff that I've, I've backed, and it's come in after something's had a mass release, right? Mm, like that's true. So yeah, I actually have done the same thing. And technically, the Kickstarter stuff, like I'm making an enamel pin and like the stickers that are exclusive to it, and um, I'm doing like some postcard prints of like uh, screenshots, you know, for all that stuff. You're only you can only get that through the Kickstarter. I'm only producing that for the Kickstarter folks, and so like definitely, it's I'm doing everything I can to make it worth the while with the money that I was able to get. So like this paperback version is just going to be that it's going to be the book shrunken down into mm -hmm. a like, soft cover format, um, kind of a more of a mass produced style to, you know, hopefully make it more available. But um, yeah, we'll figure that out. Um, Cause I am going to build volume four in that smaller size first so that I can make sure that there's enough time between that volume three and volume four in that hardcover size um, and kind of go from there. And then, yeah, it's just been fun to, to work on these and, and, uh, like an excuse to play like retro games. I mean, I would do it anyway, but now I'm yeah. doing it with a, a cool creative project in the back of my mind to help kind of put it together when it's all said and done. Nice. So where can people find you like social media handles and such? Uh, yeah. On most of the stuff, um, uh, X formerly known as Twitter, uh, at Darren Hupke and the book, I made a, a, a profile for the, just the book series of stuff. If you want to ignore my personal stuff, I try not to be too political personally, but I am a political person, I think. So uh, you can ignore all that and just go at 32 bit library um, for me there. Instagram, same thing at Darren Hupke and at 32 bit library um, on blue sky. I got an invite there. So you can find me Darren Hupke at dot B sky dot whatever that jazz is. 
um, threads. Come on, I got to join that up as soon as that launch. So totally on threads. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm just copying and pasting one post to Twitter to these other things you know, until everyone unanimously agrees to bail out on, on that. Well, it hasn't <laughs> well, happened just yet. So it might happen yeah. soon. They just talked about charging oh, I'm not a monthly paying. fee. Yeah. yeah, I'm not paying. So uh, you can no, yeah, all those other places at Darren Hupke at 32 bit library. Luckily, those tags have been available for all those sources. So that's that's me on all those places. Watch yeah. out other Darren Hupkeys. Yeah, <laughs> he's coming for you. Good stuff. Well, let's uh, dive into the other topic I outlined for today, which was RPGs over the eras. Right. You know, I I love me a good RPG. I'm playing one right now. You said you're a fan of RPGs. You're about to print a whole book on them. So I think it's a good topic to jump into. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess really just wanting to talk about our experiences, I think, is a key thing here. So, you know, playing RPGs like the Super Nintendo and Nintendo and the experiences we had then in comparison to like that golden era of PlayStation 1 RPGs. I mean, ton. I mean, 55 titles, right, that you outlined through four of the major companies. And that's not including other RPGs that were made out you know, on the PS one as well. Yeah. I want to say it's like in excess of 85 total RPGs or close to a hundred, um, that are on PS one last I checked, or if I recall correctly. Uh, and then of course, you know, PlayStation two on into current gen. I mean, you just finished final fantasy 16. So, mm-hmm. you know, in your opinion, when you look at those different eras, what would be your favorite? I mean, just like I was listening to something, I think I was listening to, I think it was a Retronauts podcast, actually. But they were talking about, like, when you're in that age, there's, like, a certain age that you hit. Um, like, whatever that game you played then is, like, that one you, like, you you impose and implant this, like, nostalgic memory for, like, that's mine or that's my favorite, that's the one. So, for me, it's, like, the PS1 era because that was, like, that was my age when, like, I first discovered, like, my own RPGs and not one that I got secondhand or, like, randomly acquired or, like, played at a friend's house or something like that. And, um, and then that's when like really the U S got the first big boom, like post final fantasy seven, people saw that there was success and money to be made there. So then we started to see like many more and many more chances taken on that. So you have some really like odd and obscure ones. Um, but you also have like just some like landmark ones then, I mean, I've always like maintained a love for them, you know, through all the generations, but, um, and even before I had some dabbling in them, but, um, definitely the PS one era that, that generation is is my like personal like favorite golden era as a fan. Yeah, I, you know, I would 100% agree on that. I look at when I was playing or you know RPGs I have on Super Nintendo for example, played through a few of those, played through things on PS1, PS2, etc. PS2 is close for me. I mean, there's a lot of great titles on that with the Dot Hack series, you know, Saga, all of that that was on that console, uh, Shadow Hearts and and whatnot. Um, but again, PS1, I mean that it really is that golden era. You, you had the Ark the Lad series that was released. That was a fantastic series. The Final Fantasy games over there. I mean, when you when you really look at that period of time, we got multiple Final Fantasies in comparison to, you know, PS2, we got a few. And in PS3, we don't talk about. And then uh, we, we got PS4 of essentially one, right? Um, yeah. One in terms of like a main, main franchise piece. So... Yeah, I mean, that that to me uh, as well, golden era. I'm trying to think of one that like, I, I guess the one that stands out for me or two are Legend of Dragoon, which I'm not a huge fan of personally. Uh, oh, and, excuse me? And Chrono yeah. Cross. 
Is this a haters gonna hate situation? It I mean, probably right? is. Colonel Cross is is my favorite though on the on the PlayStation okay. one. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, Ryan, Great. you had a hand raised. Uh, no, that was an accident. I was trying to mute there because I was coughing a bit. But I did find a website. Listle.com says that there are 240 PlayStation One RPGs. I don't know how accurate that can be, though, because when you I start- mean, I think a lot of these are Japanese only games so, so i'm thinking north american releases when i say like 80 something or 100 something that's that's fine i mean we can we can diminish this list down to the ones that only we know but i mean for you to drag legend of the dragon through the mud uh i don't i don't believe in i wasn't that. dragging that i know i'm a fan of legend of dragon that's oh no john me. john me. not you all you're me. fine you can hang around we're <laughs> friends now <laughs> look i i I've played Legend of Dragoon all the way through. It's my brother's favorite game. And I think that's probably part of the reason I get so annoyed by it is Legend. Of, sorry if you're a big fanboy of it, but like Legend of Dragoon has the most rabid fan base. And it, it honestly kind passionate. of annoys me. I would say passion and not rabid, but go ahead. See, he is part of it. He's part of it. <laughs> um, where Legend of Dragoon is like the greatest thing since sliced bread. And I just think that there are so many other titles in the PlayStation One that are that are better. Um, and it's not to diminish anything Legend of Dragoon. I think it's a fantastic game. It has some of the best combat system of any of the titles that are on the PlayStation One. Like the the action combat of you know having to actively hit X or Square or you know uh, when the red circle comes in and you got to hit you know circle button essentially. Like all of that's really cool. The dragon transformations or anything else. For me, the story was never as captivating, even though it is decent. It it just never captured me as much. And I think part of that was growing up and seeing my brother playing it constantly might have been one of the reasons. Um, but I, I did play it when I got older and it it just didn't click to me the same as like the Ark the Lad games. And I, I love the Ark the Lad games or like Star Ocean 2. Star Ocean 2's mm-hmm. got a fantastic story. So when I see like other games like that that I think are a lot more stellar in terms of storytelling, some of them on a gameplay perspective. I don't see Legend of Dragoon as like this 10 out of 10 title. And a lot of fans make it out to be this great 10 out of 10 title. Is it deserving of a remake? Sure. You know, it is. But there's a lot of games on PlayStation 1 that are very deserving of a remake, probably before Legend of Dragoon. Yes, I agree. I'm not actually even a big fan of Legend of Dragoon. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I love it for what it was, though. I mean, I, to me, it's important because it was a, a Sony title. It was like an internal IP that they like fostered and grew because they obviously have like the wild arms games themselves. And um, two definitely was uh, like a sharp entry for sure. That series. But um, they also had like legend of the Gaia, which I love to death. I love that more than dragoon by far. Um, But I just liked it as an internal game as a Sony, like fanboy kid. Like it was just cool to see that that was something that they had that, my, my best friend on his Nintendo 64 wasn't going to get anything like that. I'm like, yeah, this is why PlayStation's better, dummy. And uh, yeah, yeah, I don't think that way at all yeah. anymore now. But that was the, the youthful brain yeah. of mine. Uh, I did love the battle system. So I'm glad you at least pointed that as a positive. Because I was going to say, if you're dropping Shadow Hearts as like a, a cool game for PS2, like that was like, you can see some of that like precursor and a little bit of that real time or like time-based um, battle system, which I always thought was neat. That's... The best thing about that game, again, pacing issues I agree with, and that the story um, I agree with uh, personally. It's that's a pretty looking game. It was a solid RPG, and if you're hungry for an RPG, like there was definitely worse games you could play on the PS One. Yeah, um, but yeah, definitely it's just uh, yeah, in Jake the middle of, middle of the road for me, but in of a great genre on a great system. 
Yeah, and that's one of my goals has been to try and play as many of those PlayStation 1 RPGs as I can. So, like, I finished Jade Cocoon last year. Not my favorite. Um, Cardia was the one I finished recently. I think I gave that, like, a 6 out of 10. It was, like, the story was great, but the gameplay was garbage. Cover artwork is a 10 out of 10, though, right? Oh, yeah. Cover artwork is yeah. great. Yeah. I love that cover artwork. Yeah. yeah, like, all the artwork's actually pretty cool in that game. It's that, like, old old school vibe of, like, well, when the characters one... come up on screen. Yeah, that one, that cover art was done by um, Yoshitaka Amano, the Final Fantasy cover art guy, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't know why he did this random non-square, like, Atlas published title or anything, but whatever, it was cool. Yeah, no, it was a fantastic game, so, I mean, not game, sorry, a, a cover art, the game itself, yeah, it's okay. Um, but yeah, it's been a goal of mine for a while, is play those, play through those titles. You know, kind of thinking, like, current Gen 2, um, with you having just beat 16, and then mentioning Dragoon being... A Sony title like you know I get why fans want to see that game remade but I think Sony like come on like why haven't you redone it right or why haven't you put out a second one that would sell like gangbusters dude like releasing that game again yeah I just don't think they have the confidence that it would I mean because Sony is the first one like my my whole like love hate with them on that is like they're the first to abandon an idea or abandon a commitment you know like Hey, the Vita's not quite selling as much. Oh, whatever, cool. I'll just pretend it never existed and let's let third parties try and let this stick around for a while. You know, um, like even games with like DLC and additional content and stuff, like they've been the first one to just like, cool, we're out of here. You know, this isn't working. This is not as, as hot as we thought it would be. Cool, we're done. Uh, which kind of sucks because they have so many like great, like old IP and uh, old like titles like that that they could totally resurrect. And I think that, you know, with the right team, or right budget, or right like scale and scope would definitely like make them money, but maybe they're looking for last of us and God of war sized hits only. And they don't consider like a medium or modest return on investment as something worth, worth doing, which is the only thing I can think is what limits yeah. them from getting back to these things. Let's see like final fantasy 16 is a title that, you know, it's timed exclusivity in a sense, right? Cause it is going to come on PC. Like we already know this. Yeah. Um, and potentially Xbox actually down the road. I mean, given the new established relationship there, if they're thinking that itself is going to move consoles better yet in our, a classic RPG that has a fan base behind it, that has sat there for what, two decades now in, in garnering additional love over the course of the years to then be remade. Like that in itself should be a recipe for success on a current gen console to take that game, which was beautiful in the PS one era and it's still very playable by today's standards to then modernize it. Like I think they're missing the ball on that yeah. for sure. But then they do those confusing things. They tease you with having that, that, um, that version released on the PS four that you can play that looks, you know, looks prettier and it's all available digitally. Like why go through the effort and energies to like, remind us all of this when like then you're just gonna like say it's not a thing you know like unless it's in development and they're just kind of hush hush right now and they do have plans for it you never know but yeah um i don't know maybe we need some leaked emails to help us out right (laughs) we need some straight crazy lawsuits that happen that force them to you know leak these information yeah for sure uh so unless we have anything else here i think we can dive into uh the articles this week yeah so we basically have just uh a bunch of Xbox leaks. Let's go straight from uh, talking all about PlayStation RPGs to uh, what we think that Xbox has been cooking up for the last three years uh, from these 2020 leaks that just came out. 
All right. So the first thing we got here is Phil Spencer has been actively trying to acquire Nintendo. That's laughable. Uh, and says it'd be a career moment. This was my Nintendo news and it was Sicker who wrote this one. And this, uh, you know, I'll just tie it in right now, Ryan. Uh, the other piece you have here is biggest revelations from the Microsoft Xbox leaks. That's wired.com. Megan uh, Manesh on there. So, you know, I'm not going to read exactly any article. But basically, uh, 2020 email got leaked during the whole FTC trial and saying, you know, hey, we got my eye on Nintendo. We need to buy more Nintendo stock. We need to establish this relationship, uh, essentially alluding to the fact that this isn't like a quick, you know, thing that we can do. We have to take our time on this. A hostile takeover is not the way we want to go. So like it really does go into this like methodology of Microsoft heavily considering like how do we approach Nintendo? How can we buy Nintendo and put them under the wing of Microsoft? And, you know, I, I just think back to that old story of like Microsoft execs walking in to purchase Nintendo and they laugh them out of the room. Right. So I, I don't think there's anything big to kind of consider here. I, I think it's more so, yeah, Microsoft is trying to make some sort of play years ago and they probably are today, given that relationship with Nintendo, it would make sense. But at the same time, I feel like Nintendo is honestly using Microsoft, right? To just get this uh, even bigger platform than what they have already. Uh, and that they know they're never going to be acquired by Microsoft. I mean, that. I was in a position where I totally agreed with you, but I was hanging out with a friend yesterday. That's bad. I had a conversation with him and I my mind kind of started to go in a direction that I hadn't really foreseen before. But I've heard a lot of speculation, especially from like some of these leaks, like uh, part of this leak was the adorably all digital future with the Amazon Alexa looking tower of the mid gen refresh for a discless Xbox Series X. And if this is going to be the last real generation that we have with hardware and then everything else is essentially going to be like an all digital future i mean xbox is already you can play your games on your pc you can play it on your tablet you can play it on your rog ally or your phone or whatever you know the future of gaming is going to be wherever you have a screen and a control or a touchscreen input you know it'll be all over the place like that's the unavoidable future that will happen at some point whether it's you know, 10 years from now or 20 years from now, it's going to happen. And at some point, Nintendo is going to Sega out. Like they're going to be the company who is only doing gaming in a market of people that make TVs and toasters and every computer on the planet that isn't an Apple. You know, they're going to be out of their element in the future. And at some point, Nintendo is going to be like, you know what? We could just make Mario. Like, we don't need to make a, a Switch 64 plus Super 2.0 and release that so that people can buy that to play the new Mario. We could just sell Mario and people could play it wherever the hell they can play, you know, their most recent Xbox or PlayStation game. And I just don't really see that being untrue. At some point in the future, Nintendo is just going to publish Nintendo games. And 
have their movie franchises and have their theme parks, but they're not necessarily going to need to go through all the effort and expense of plugging their own hardware. And at that point, you know, it might be appealing to be approached by Xbox or Sony and see what they have to offer you. So, so that's kind of my opinion on it. Yeah, I mean, I I like that idea, but I don't know that I, I think that that doesn't need to be acquired to do to live that future. Yeah, like, it doesn't need to be in, in internally. Like if they determine that, like, you know, hardware R&D and production and manufacturing costs. So that's like, you know, what, that's something we don't want to play around and we can like we can shrink down the size of our overhead and expenses as a company and just focus on the software side of it. But then all that money saved means there's less money to answer for and they can just do it their own way. I feel like if there was an acquisition side of that, would those internal Nintendo folks be worried that now an Xbox boss is going to tell them if it's okay to release this Mario game at this time, or if it's, you know, right. Like, whereas if they Sega style, just do it on their own accord, do it on their own time for better or worse, they're going to deliver what they think is right. Um, That would be fine. Cause Nintendo, you know, they can't really do wrong. Like their first party games, you know, is there ever a bad game they released? It might there's not, not be a bad your... Mario game the way there's a bad <laughs> Sonic game. Yeah, exactly. So like, I trust them more to do that. And if Sega is still doing it without being like an acquisition for a company and being just some like pay or uh, you know like write off or anything, like why would Nintendo ever put themselves in that position? I totally feel that there's a future for them, like hardwareless world if they determine so. But even that, I can argue with myself against because. Outside of like the 3DS, when did they ever release hardware that they sell at a loss? Like exactly they invest, what I was thinking. Yeah, they invest and they find the technology that like, hey, this is not cutting edge and it does not need to be. And I don't care how, if it's just 4K, whatever the hell crap you're talking about, gamers. This has Zelda Breath of the Wild and this is our fun handheld game hybrid. Did you ask for it? No. Do you want it? No. But will you buy this in millions and millions of droves and we will be continue to be like fine? Like... Absolutely, you will because yeah. you love what we do. So I think they just live on their own planet, and uh, and they're fine with doing that. And um, while I would love to see Sony acquire them to like make some exclusive stuff, I think it's they they probably are like so entrenched in an ability that they are going to be able to like control their own destiny and have no need for that. I feel like this was more Microsoft um, like pulling their best Michael Scott, like you know, like hey, let's put something on the board. Like if pie in the sky, like if we could, what's the if anything were possible, what would get us out of the hole we feel we have for ourselves with like a lack of gaming content and stuff? Boom, acquiring yeah. Nintendo would patch all that up and we'd be the best brand in the world, right? Yeah. Is that so, going to happen though? No, I mean, I don't think so personally. Yeah, and I, I mentioned tons of times on a podcast, so I agree with everything you said first off. And Ryan, if Nintendo's to not make another console, it'll be about 16 to 24 years from now because they're always a few generations behind anyway so you know <laughs> figure 24 years from now they'll be at what the ps5 or ps6 would be at that's when we'll see well, a, a non that's Nintendo what i've console. been seeing the like the people that i listen to say like the next generation of xbox and sony will be the last generation to have physical media and then nintendo will be a generation behind that so yeah. i mean you're talking like 10 to 15 years out from now, which I mean, the obvious difference in opinion between our generation and the next generation is huge. I mean, our generation is still screaming about why there isn't, you know, 
manuals in, in yeah. our game cases and the the new generation like they're playing Fortnite for free on their phone and they could give less of a shit about any of that that's because so, their parents didn't raise i them mean right. by the time that they have money and you know by the time the future actually arrives for us and we start to feel real old i mean that's where the divide's gonna happen and i mean yeah. i i get it like if if I was, uh, this is the one note I wrote on this article. Like, if I was Phil Spencer and I got to buy Nintendo, like, I'd put a feather in my hat and call my mom about it, too. Like, that would be, like, the biggest win for anybody in history to be like, I bought Nintendo. Like, <laughs> anybody would be stoked oh, to God. write that on a press release. And yeah. I I don't see them actually being able to buy Nintendo, but I do see them being able to court Nintendo. Like the fact that Nintendo's already given away so much of the sanctity seems like such a strong word. But when you look at like Mario Kart Tour and like the Pikmin game that they put out for Niantic or whatever. Like, there's a lot of compromise going on for Nintendo titles to fit onto a mobile game marketplace, but they're still cashing those checks and they don't feel mm -hmm. bad about it at no. all. And so the ability to like, I mean, we if we all saw the latest Nintendo Direct and we saw that F-Zero, you know, we all thought for half a second it was going to just show that old school graphics and then warp into some fancy new 3D graphics. And it's just like, nope, we're putting 99 of y'all together. And it's and just like it. all the way to the bank, even though that's like a free title. Like, yeah, in general, you know, I I've said it tons of times the podcast. I'll say it again. I am not convinced that Microsoft is releasing another Xbox next generation. Uh, you know, depending on if it succeeds or fails right now, it's kind of leaning towards failure in the grand scheme of things. Um, I do think they're going to pull a Sega before Nintendo ever does. You know, I could see Microsoft putting games on Sony consoles, Nintendo consoles, Sony Anywhere TVs. Game Pass can yeah. be sold. A microwave, a pregnancy yeah. tests, like anywhere you can put it, it's going to be on there. I think that uh, that's the thing like with, with them, like, I think they're more more so than Sony or Nintendo. Like Microsoft wants to challenge the norm and do something different. Like it bit them in the ass with like the way they they announced the Xbox One of you know how you resold games or shared games. Like it was not revealed and the idea was not like given to us public in a way that we like thought was a great idea. We're like, wait, what? I can't borrow a game from my friend and GameStop's gonna like do what now with my games? Like, no, you're stupid. I'm gonna buy the PlayStation. It wasn't a bad idea. It was building a platform for them that was going to allow like this, you owning your library and you could have a physical list version of that. And I, I'm okay with this digital world. And I think that Microsoft would be the one to try it and dip their toes in the water first. But if people poorly react to it, then they have to like scramble and they do damage control. I think they might be scared from too much history of that. But at the end of the day, I think it needs to get to that point. But there's also, like, to, to your point, the people who are still screaming out no manuals in the games and, and think people are still going to say, like, like, what do you mean it's all digital? Like, where do I plug it in my TV? Like, I just want to I just want to plug it in. What are you talking about? I don't have anything to plug in. This doesn't make sense. I'm confused. I'm going to go buy the PlayStation instead. Then that makes more yeah. sense. Like, there's still this, like, adoption of new technologies that has to be 
understandable and digestible to like the quote unquote common gamer, you know? And so if you make that hard or you make that confusing, then the person who's dragging their feet the longest and releasing, here's a set top box hardware where you can just put a disc in. You remember how to do that? Like, yeah, yeah, that makes more sense. My kid will get that because I'm not confused. I'm not going to go through this other crap like, you know, putting in Roblox codes every weekend. You know, yeah. so they're just, they're, they're fighting time and adoption to like common sense and technology that like, you know, we're, we're always battling with. Well, I mean, you can also look at the lens too of, you know, gamers want to have control over their titles, right? So that's, mm -hmm. I'm physical only for the most part, mm -hmm. you know, there's some titles that are digital that you just have to get digital because they won't be physical. But for the most part, I'm only physical. And one of those main reasons is to be able to own my games, quite frankly, you know, like we've heard, I've heard stories of gamers on Sony and Microsoft where they are locked out of accounts or they no longer have access mm -hmm. or the console comes up as it's like stolen or whatever it is when it really isn't. And they lose all of that, you know, because they're in this digital setting. Right. And there's nothing that they can do about it except potentially get that unlocked. And recover. I mean, yeah, that point stands up until a couple of years ago. Like if you were to pull any game that's been published off your shelf in the last two years and you yes, try to just plug to that into extent. your console 10 years from now. If they're not hosting those day one patches, a lot of those games might as well just be digital for as good as they're going to do you. True. However, you have to consider that there are publishers that are putting games out completely on the disc. Yeah, I know. One. But I'm saying it'll be like, oh, you could roll the dice at how many games you're actually yeah. going to own that are going to work can. the you way can. that they're supposed to. Nintendo, however. Uh, sorry one one last thing on that like yeah. nintendo a lot of those games are on the cart completely like ready to go mm -hmm. yes there are some patches uh, here, i don't know there's patches. a ton of switch games that are like have a I know, big download thing only. on the cover that says yeah. download half the fucking game few, few and far between but kirby is like the game that has the last kirby game that came out zero patches all a hundred percent finished well, and like our friends are premium edition games, they don't release yeah. anything for prints unless it's 100% on the cartridge, patches are in, everything else. So there are companies out there to take measures to ensure from a physical media standpoint that it's good to go, right? You are going to have patches down the road. That's going to happen. But as close to the full thing as possible, there's companies still doing that today. Is it all of them? No, absolutely not. And I totally agree with you. Like two years ago, a lot of that was killed off. If servers are shut down, you're kind of screwed, right? For the most part. But like, I could still play my Wii U titles, right? You know, there's nothing going on there. And I'm pretty sure a lot all of that three stuff of was... them. <laughs> What's that? All I said three. all three of them. <laughs> all three of the good ones. Yeah. Well, I can play yeah. them on Switch now because they're all reprinted anyways. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's but... that actually, that was going to be my question to you. Like, I 100% and, and that is like a fear I can't control because if you know if you lean into this digital world and then ultimately you get that car revoked and it's gone from you like that just sucks like what what do you do you know like, what Pirate. Do you just pay for yeah, yeah. raise the flag uh, um, but in this in this uh, world where you know you're trying to stick to physical like do you have like something coming up soon like the Metal Gear collection you know mm -hmm. are you going to purchase that new collection I wanted to until I realized that you weren't actually going to get all of it. Well, I, I, oh, well, I look, well, okay. But if you were, if you were going to buy, just trying to simplify it. Like if you were going to buy, like I'm going to buy it, 
but that's also going to be like the fifth time I've bought it, even though yeah. I do have some physical. Co- so I'm not there is like, there yeah. is a, a balance to, to like being able to do both. What I would hope for my, my utopian future is that all the big three, they invest in like a digital archivist or a digital, like a legacy, like team whose job it is, is to like, gather up digitize and like create like access to all these content for fans and then having a digital platform that is above and beyond not connected to that hardware so like hey i can get that next playstation and know that this is going to be compatible or work or there's an emulation and a a legacy team or there's just like a a legacy set top box they sell that you know i can get or whatever like that would be great instead of having to kind of reset and like change and like worry about how my things work. I really thought that's what Microsoft was doing with this generation with having a digital Xbox one and 360 games and then Xbox one games all available in one marketplace, all available to buy and play. But then now some of those games are disappearing and no longer being for sale. And you, again, your mm-hmm. question is like, well, I paid for that. Like, what, like when do I get access to it again? Can I re-download it if necessary? Like, you know, what will happen? And I don't know. I want there to be a, a perfect middle ground. Cause I'm, I would be all in on digital if there weren't these like very like understandable and very like valid concerns for like, you know, when you have access to them and how you have access to them. Yeah, I'll I'll give you a good example, too. It's like Phantom Dust is a game that's on Xbox. It was exclusive for many years. And Phantom Dust was sitting around $80, $90, I think $120 actually for a physical copy. Mm -hmm. But it got released on the Xbox console digitally, right? Well, when that gets pulled again, what happens to the physical copies of Phantom Dust? They're going to skyrocket again, right? Because Microsoft is like, which doesn't make sense to me. Like why, unless there's royalties tied to it, and that's kind of the reason why, like they're paying X amount of dollars to host a game. I get that component. But at the same time, that's kind of the thing that sucks, right? As gamers, it's like, okay, cool. I downloaded that game. Or maybe I have Game Pass and I was playing that and I'm midway through it. Oh, now, hey, you got to finish that game within a certain period of time because it's gone forever after it. Kind of like the Netflix thing, right? You want to watch a movie. It's got like five days left. It's going to be gone because it's going somewhere else or they just don't want to repurchase the rights to watch it or to play it. And and nobody else is picking it up, right? So now it's like, well, what do I do? I have to if I want to watch that movie, I got to turn back to physical media hope that it's on blu-ray if it's not okay now i'm looking at dvd at, or worst case scenario you're looking at vhs right to watch those same films so you know i i i don't know man I, i'm with you on that like digital is great in theory but there's just so many things like obstacles to make it like perfect i mean yep. microsoft Agreed. has definitely made the biggest strides in some of those where like you can physically grab one of your like xbox games and 80 percent of that library you can stick that xbox game in your series x yeah and be able to play that title that's like, one thing microsoft done a has done a large well. amount of backwards compatibility you know work to try to include all of their retro library as like something that you can still have access to whereas nintendo and sony they're just trying to figure out okay what's the best way we can piecemeal sell you all of these little bits. I mean, they went through and they relaunched PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now, and they haven't put out like a single like really hit like PS2 list or PS3 game or, you know, like even their like PS1 releases that are supposed to be in like the highest tier. Like that's pretty like slim. Like they're not really trying to push that out there it was just a marketing gimmick that they came out with and they were like okay hey we can like nobody's subscribed to playstation now 
So let's just slap this in with PlayStation Plus, come out with these fun sounding tiers, and then just hold back on it. Well, there's enough people like me who bought that <laughs> premium high end cost of like that subscription uh, have definitely not getting their values worth. But I'm not second guessing it. I'm paying my tax to the the holy lords at Sony, and I'm ensuring that the greatest <laughs> quality of games will continue on. And I'm just a servant to their decision making process. <laughs> uh, the, um, Nintendo, like the like, I feel like that with the virtual console on the Wii, boom, like they were doing it right. That they was were, it. They were releasing an author, but it was just a massive collection by the end of it all, and it was amazing. And then to pivot to like backpedaling and it being available in different ways and then now the switch version of it while yes if you're just playing online and you're getting a free access to it sure but it is a fraction of what that is i just want one person at nintendo to be like yo here's just everything and there here's an affordable price for it all and here's a subscription if you want to kind of like rent out and just like play what you want monthly or you can buy them you know and just play them anytime if that just turns into this evergreen sales like method for them because they have so many great like history and catalog of games, like why not just do that? There's some strange reason. I get why Sony doesn't do it because they're the smartest people in the room and, you know, they made the emotion engine. And then when it came time for PS3, it was like, well, no, here's a completely different technology called the cell processor, which is going to confuse you all to death. And it's going to be so hard to emulate because we're again, smarter than you and you don't realize how powerful this thing is, but like they made it hard for themselves with all this different architecture. Microsoft, Boom, all this like x86 based stuff. It's like, hey, joke's on you. Like, it's easy for us to do this. You guys have the hard stuff to figure out. But um, yeah. I just want it to be, I just want it to be good. And there's a way it can be good in some like perfect world out there. And that's the world I want to live in. But it I'm may here. just take more time. Like, that's the thing. Like, we're still so close to the console wars and like all of that minutiae. Like, once it gets beyond, you know, which box do you own and where do you want? to play your games and it just becomes about which library and which titles do you want access to? I think at that point, people will really start to invest the time and energy and effort to basically give themselves that virtual console and give that gift to everybody else. Like here's a thousand games for $2 a pop that aren't available anywhere unless you want to go on eBay and spend $120, which by the way is the cost of a bottle of water. Now, you know, like (laughs) it's going to be like insane in the future, like what we're up against. And at that point, those companies will be actually starting to acquiesce and try to give us, you know, some more access. But for right now, it's just, it's too hot of a commodity and it's too big of a selling point to just give away the goat and let us have what we really want. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's uh, dive into our last leak here. I I just realized all of this is leaks. Um, Elder Scrolls six, it's skipping PS five. It's not coming until 2026. Uh, This was Andrew Webster at the verge. You know, I no surprises, right? I think we all knew when Bethesda was acquired that things like fallout elder scrolls, all of that was going to be moving to be exclusive moving forward. And it's one of the reasons the whole FTC thing pissed me off because it was all focused on Call of Duty and not on every other damn thing that Activision has. You know, so, you know, I think that's just a world that we're going to be living in. Microsoft continuing to acquire these companies and things not making their way to other consoles. I mean, tell that to Embracer Group. 
Like uh, well, they bought you, all of these titles and, and now they they're trying them. to sell everything off or <laughs> just like go under with them in their hand. But like, I mean, Elder Scrolls six, I mean, I'm not excited about it. Like, it's not something I'm going to actively play. It's just more so the idea of like everyone saying, oh, well, what Microsoft is doing is great for gaming. These were multi-platform games for the most part that they're pulling out from all of these different areas to release on their console versus the argument being made all the time, right? Is Sony is actively developing new IPs on a consistent basis. Microsoft's not doing that. They're just ripping, you know, that's bad for gamers personally. Um, forcing them to now make double the purchase to say, oh, well, I really wanted to play Elder Scrolls, but there's so many other great RPGs and things, you know, Sony's releasing. Now I got to buy two consoles, right? Yeah. So unless Microsoft goes that route of we're going to, you know, be agnostic and start I putting mean, on every console. The next time you show me a, a company that's trying to make less money. I get it. I'll go I down totally that line it. with you. No, I totally get it. I, I understand what they're doing. I understand why they're doing it. What I don't understand is the backing of the general market to say, yeah, this is great for gaming. I mean, it's not, it's not great for gaming, but at the same time, it's like I get the idea like Microsoft owns Bethesda. Like that's a done deal. Yeah, and I the know. same way that nobody complains that Zelda isn't on Sony, like just, you but, know, but you got to get was... over it at some point and realize that Bethesda games just aren't going to be on other consoles now. I get it. But it's it's more of a matter of Nintendo has made Zelda what it is yeah. today, and Nintendo has always owned Zelda. So we've always known, oh, I want to play Zelda. I need to get a Nintendo console. Yeah. Whereas Elder Scrolls has been on, you know, Xbox and PlayStation Three and other consoles over the years, and now you have to get an Xbox to play a lot. And Tony Hawk might be one down the road too. You know, like there's titles, Spyro, Tony Hawk, Crash Bandicoot, all these titles that could potentially be down the road exclusive to microsoft yeah and that's the, the the oh go ahead no no go on go on yeah the, that's the weird part about it all like i i'm fine with exclusive games like that's the reason why you need to decide to pick which platform you know like that's why i love the playstation because i like their ip and like their games and just like that with nintendo like they grew and developed their talent or their their library of games internally like sony even like for for example, they work with From Software a lot, like Bloodborne or Demon Souls. Like those are Sony IP, but they hired in this like great you know or like like developer you know to have their unique take and develop this game for them. But it's you know their IP and they can do what they want with it as it is. Um, but like and then Sony has a lot of internal IP that they kind of create all these like games to franchise that are all done internally in all theirs. Have they purchased studios and acquired things over the years themselves? Yes. Microsoft has done it in a way that's like, this is like, you know, unprecedented in like acquiring a company like Bethesda or, you know, ultimately like the Activision stuff, like that's huge. And of course, like I'm, I do not blame them if they own that company, that game's exclusive, but they're, they like bought out a company who's got like this giant history independently. And now they're making those games. There's what, what I could see happening on the shoe on the other foot. Hey, they love Elder Scrolls and they want their own Elder Scrolls. Hey, Bethesda, here's $30 million. I want you to make an original adventure RPG like for us. You know, we want to have an exclusive one for our, ourselves. And like they own, Microsoft can own that IP. They can continue to go back to that well and work with them. Similar to how like Sony worked with Insomniac for years on all those properties. Again, that's an odd example to make because now they own them because they bought them. Because what about Square? They don't own Square. 
But yeah. Final Fantasy 16, I mean, that's I think it's that, not on Xbox. With with Japanese development and like the, the install base they have in their you know in the home country there, it's a little bit different. And for Square to make a triple A like large budget game. I don't think they realistically were in a position to personally afford that. I think what they said was like, Sony, like we sell our soul to you a little bit. You're going to cash this check for us and help us do this in return. You can promote it. It can be like branded your way, like all that stuff. Cause ultimately it is going to be, it's Square's property and they're going to be able to put it on PC and inevitably like through, uh, Xbox and things like that. And that's fine. I think that was them taking advantage of like, they both took advantage of each other cool, we're going to have an exclusive. We'll be able to tout this, promote this. We invest in you a little bit, and then you can kind of go from there. Um, and we both mutually kind of, you know, benefit in this scenario. The, um, it's just it's just weird to me, like the Xbox stuff. And I don't, I don't want to say it's like bad for gaming necessarily. It's just the move Xbox is making to like, to shore up, you know, what they need. Because personally, like I already kind of mentioned before, like their biggest problem has been, putting out and getting original content like in the same way that Nintendo or Sony does. And so if we fast forward 10 years from now and, you know, other people have filled in the holes that like the voids that have been created by these kind of bigger companies being acquired, you know, it's going to happen. But this maybe gives Microsoft like that clout that they need or or that opportunity to build those things. But they've also acquired over the years, a number of other developers that they've yet to like see any payout from like having Obsidian and having like these other developers on board, like where are these games at? Like, like, wasn't that enough for you? Like, leave us alone, like leave Activision alone. I want my Tony Hawk three and four remaster. <laughs> and I'm never going to get it because of you jerks. Uh, but yeah, I think it's just, it's just a weird balance. And I, and I do agree with that internally developed or internally homegrown like content versus just, buying your neighbor's house to you know give yourself more square footage you know well, it's just and, kind of a weird move and this is also you know you got to factor in how many of those employees of his developers so actually developers of the developing companies are being retained right how many are being cut how many are being retained how many are leaving for other companies on top of that so you're not even for the most part keeping the entirety of those teams that have made up a lot of those games too um so I mean, obviously developers are developers, but if you're losing a lot of that brain trust and those key internal stakeholders throughout the ac- acquisition process, yeah, are we really going to get a whole bunch? And they're acquiring so much so rapidly, to your point, they're not going to be able to cover everything, right? There's only so many developers that they can have on staff making games and focus towards those games. So, you know, with Elder Scrolls, what did we get like a leak like three years ago, four years ago? And now they're saying, oh, 2026. How long did it take them to even get that little bit of footage? I mean, this, yeah. this game's probably going to have been in development like 10 plus years. I mean, that's what I put on the, the article here. The Elder Scrolls 6 subtitled, it took 15 years to come out, so it better be amazing. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's like with Rockstar too in Grand Theft Auto. Like, yeah. Elder Scrolls has always had its own timeline. So it's really weird to like put your eggs in like, we bought Bethesda, like we've got Elder Scrolls. Like, well you got that in two console generations from now. Like, I mean, yeah. it's, it's not coming soon. Like go ahead and remaster a few old things, which is part of that leak too, which I think is a smart play, you know, like bring out some of those things and like remind people of what a taste of what they're getting, because it's, it's like, um, it's like fallout three when that first hit again, actually convincingly or confusingly about Bethesda game. But when fallout three hit, like how many people was that their first fallout game? Because yeah. it was so far removed from one and two. Yes, it was on different platform, you know, being a PC release. A whole different, different genre, genre too. Yeah. Um, but like still, that was like, that was my first Fallout game. And like my interest drove me back to like play some of the older ones. Like Skyrim, you know, 
like how old really is that game? Yes, people have had that available to them through re-releases and updates and all that stuff, but like um, they didn't most likely play Oblivion. Like that was maybe their first one entirely because of how many years apart it was. Um, like I played Oblivion. I mean, I'm like, separating myself from just, but trying to put yourself in like like a modern gamer's shoes or a younger gamer's shoes who's growing up. Like Elder Scrolls Six might be the first time they've really yeah had a chance to play it. So it is going to be a big deal and potentially unique for them, but it's going to be a little while. So. Um, we've got to see and Microsoft just got to like, yeah, like figure out how to keep those developers that they're now acquiring, like interested and excited to develop because like, it's not about sales numbers anymore. When it's that internal studio, you're, you're not going to move as many units. So it's not, you're not doing it for like that bragging rights of that sales number. You're kind of doing it for, for more of like this internal pride because, you know, God of War does not sell as much as Madden or, you know, things like that. But, so, um, Yeah. My question, like if we're talking about like, you know, original IP for consoles, which is kind of where we started off here. Like, I mean, God of War, it's not really original IP anymore. I mean, that's from the PlayStation 2. That's old IP. So if we count, yeah, but if we count Bethesda being owned by Xbox and coming out with Starfield this year, I mean, what are the big hitting sony exclusives coming out this year they didn't develop spider-man spider-man is like super old and goes across all mediums um final fantasy uh rebirth i mean that's a remake of a game from the playstation one like what is the big new original thing that sony did this year that's so great i mean xbox bought bethesda but Starfield launched on Xbox. It's never been on any other console before. It's a wholly being, new thing. I think it was being developed, though, for both. It doesn't matter. I'm talking about where it launched. Like, Sony doesn't have, like, to my mind, unless I'm really missing something, there's nothing that was like, here's the big Sony original, like, this has only ever been a PlayStation 5 thing that's brand new. Are you talking yeah. this year alone? Well. Yeah, yeah, I'm talking this year. Like, to what would you put Sony head to head against Xbox's Starfield with? Well, I, I would count Spider-Man Two in that. Like, I, I get what you're saying though. Like, but I think that this they're borrowing this legacy, that IP. They're paying somebody else for that license. Yes, it is a license game. 100. Yeah, I, that is that is different. But from an original content standpoint, I mean, it is built in house. You know, like through Insomniac and through Sony's own ownership of that. You know, yeah. license in that. Um, but I think that's their that's their big game, you know. Like, it, but it's their big game that you're only going to play on PlayStation. But yes, is that as as a brand, it does exist and it's lived on and will live on past Sony and like the PlayStation family for sure. Um, I think we're in a weird developmental window. Like, it's still like it's, it sounds odd to say, but it's still like this like COVID fallout of of things. Like, we aren't we haven't had the same type of like blockbuster holiday season like we've had in years past because like like Microsoft like like needed Starfield to hit low when it did. And, and I'm glad for them that they had that out. But like, think about those last two Christmases with like Microsoft games. Like they didn't have like that blockbuster holiday game. And people were like, you know, really like, well, what is it? Like, what's the, what's the reason for driving for this Xbox? Like Sony was able to, you know, put out God of War last Christmas and or last holiday season and things like that. Yeah. We um, had Returnal on release as well. Yeah. I mean, but you can argue like those games are now going on the PC as well. So, I mean, it's it's getting to a point as well where Sony, yeah, they're releasing new IPs, but they're putting them on PC over the years. Yeah. 
Yeah, so. I, I don't. I think that it's just we're in a different era where like. I'll be, I, I, I like the fact that there are these PC ports because you've always gotten that on the Microsoft side of things. It's never been always just an Xbox only thing, but like even Sony embracing that, I think is good for gaming. And I also think it shows that this move to a potential platformless world, you know, like we've, we were discussing with the digital conversation. Yeah. Um, so that's really cool. I just think we're in a weird phase for just all the companies still just from a developmental standpoint, like Sony, like what is the Santa Monica Studios games that's being developed? You know, it's, it's still a little ways out. Like Insomniac's other team working on like a Wolverine title, like that's still a little ways out. Um, what is like Sony San Diego working on? Like just they've done MLB over the years, but like um, like that is now multi-platform actually, which is kind of interesting. Um, there is some big that, internal... It's forced in a way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You either lose the MLB license or you release this. Well, we'll release it then. Um, but the, the others in the past, Sony's had more, and I think it's just a weird period where again we're focused or Naughty Dog exactly. Like where's Naughty Dog's next big, next big game? There's a lot of big in-house things. Um, oh my gosh, there's the studio behind a Sucker Punch, like mm. Ghost of Tsushima came out, and all we got was a PS5 version of that. Like again, I think this is more of like the the post-COVID type of thing where some developers are a year behind, maybe a little bit more in some regards. We could have had a more of a heavy-hitting holiday season or a heavy-hitting year this year. And instead, we have a lot of like angry arguing over Redfall is a terrible game and it should have been better, <laughs> but whatever. Like It sucks. It was a game that people wanted to be great, but it was also a game people were just punching down on to be terrible just because their own platform of choice didn't have a good game. Yeah. Like, that's where we're at right now is taking pot shots at what isn't there when in reality, like, fuck it. Like, Starfield is, like, I'm glad Microsoft, like, fans have something great and original exclusive to, like, play. Because that's why I've always loved Sony platforms is because there's a lot of great exclusive original things to play on. And that's what's driven my love to be a fanboy of theirs. Like, yeah, there's a reason I'm, Microsoft fans exist because, like, give them some love, you know? Like, be happy so, for them. And Sony's had its ebbs and flows. I mean, there's years where you don't have a, you know major triple a release that's just going to sell like crazy and, and hits all the time I and mean, it's just been the reality of it for gaming for a very long time but I, I think you're right you know we're in that kind of point where games are probably about a year out from where they should be maybe two years out because of covid and everything that happened and shutdowns and um you know i anticipate 2024 we'll probably hear about better releases that are coming out then mm-hmm so, well, we have gone quite a while. We're almost at the hour and a half mark here. And I think we were like, hey, we'll probably be 45 minutes. So we could probably go even longer, but we'll probably cut it off here. Um, so, Darren, thanks again for hopping on. Definitely appreciate you. Man, this is super fun. Yeah, this is super fun. I think for, for having me. Um, I love talking games and I don't get enough of an outlet to do so. So I appreciate y'all being able to uh, let me join you in this awesome podcast. So y'all appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. We'll have you on again sometime in the future. I'm so sure. Oh, yeah. I'll do it. Don't threaten that. I'll do it. <laughs> don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, man. All right. Well, this has been episode 253 of the Game Inflators podcast. We've been joined by Darren Hupke. My name's John. I'm Ryan. And thanks for listening.